Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp and I'm a remote marketing consultant and coach for architecture firms. And it's been a busy six months. Over the last six months of lockdown, I've been sitting down with some of the best experts in architecture marketing and communication to share their ideas and insights on how we can all grow our architecture firms and attract better quality clients. So today I'm going to be sharing my most recent conversation with you and over the coming weeks, I'm going to be uploading the rest of those interviews as well. The first conversation you'll hear today is with Ben Morgan. Ben is an expert, an absolute expert on architectural journalism. He's the co-founder of the Bowbird app, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, which he co-founded alongside Nick Grandlease, who's been on the show before, if you go back and have a look at some of those earlier episodes. Bowbird is a platform for architects to upload projects and share them with the media. So in this interview, Ben shares loads of helpful insight and advice for architects. Ben really lives and breathes the architecture media, which is why I was so excited to have him on the podcast. There is really nobody out there with more knowledge and passion for sharing great architectural stories with the public. And so most of the conversation revolves around how architects can get themselves published in the mainstream media. Ben also talks about the need to inform the public on the value of good architecture and how important that is for our industry. He also talks about how to talk about your projects uh, and what to do to connect with editors and freelancers. So it's a super comprehensive interview, loads of information from Ben, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. So let's get it started with Ben from Bowbird. I'm with Ben Morgan from Bowbird. Hey, Ben. Hey, Dave. How are you going? <laughs> Good, thank you. Uh, so do you want to maybe talk a little bit about, uh, I suppose, or introduce anybody who might be watching this video briefly to Bowbird and then maybe a little bit about your background as well in the architecture media? Yeah, sure. Um, so Bowbird is essentially, a, it's a platform that architects and interior designers can upload their projects um, and share them with the media. So it's, a, it's essentially, in it, at its base, it's a press kit tool, um, but it's also a whole lot more than that. And it's um, becoming a bit more like a, a social network just for architects, designers and, uh, and journalists. So, um, yep, that's, that's what the platform does, pretty basic. Um, yep. My background is, um, is in journalism. So I came straight out of studying journalism at university, knowing that I really didn't want to um, get into news journalism. I mean, look at the world now. Thank goodness yeah. I didn't, didn't take that path. Um, and went straight into, uh, in, it was actually interior design media, um, working for a publisher up in Sydney. And really never never left the creative sector. So um, worked on websites, uh, various sort of freelance projects, always contributing to design magazines the whole way along. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, met Nick Granlees in 2014 and he had this great idea, um, which was Bowbird and hasn't. The initial idea hasn't changed that much, yeah. um, and we just we just ended up hanging out. Uh, we we recorded this podcast ages ago that never got we never saw the light of day. It was about um, websites for architects. Um, yeah. We 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 sort of joke that we're going to release it one day, um, but from there we we just you know got along and had this same vision, and I guess that was how many six years ago now. So yeah, so how far has it come since then? I mean, you guys have taken it from very like small beginnings to you're kind of all over the world now and like how many architects are you up to at the moment like if we're going to throw a throw a count out there 
Uh, well, number number within the community. Yeah, within um, the community. Is, yep. uh, I mean, in, including architects, photographers, journalists. We're, we're up to, I don't know, three to 5,000. I actually don't have the number. Yeah, I should have prepared for that. No, um, no, but that's... You know, large, large, large community. Yeah, very, and that's interesting big. when you talk about it like a community and you also mentioned that it's a bit of a social network as well. Is that yeah. kind of the direction that you sort of see Bowbird kind of trending over time a little bit? I think that... It's one of those things. I think any there's very few businesses who look at architects and go, great, I'm going to go and make a business in architecture. Um, it's usually someone who was an architect or has been in yep. the industry in some way that sees the potential in it because um, it can be it can be challenging. And it, especially a few years ago, um, architects were really averse to the idea of marketing, which I'm sure you yep. would have come across yep, as well. Um, so I think community is everything when you're when you're in this industry or in this sector. Um, and so for us, I think it couldn't have been any other way. You can't do something like Bowbird and not have it be all about the community. Um, so, the, I mean, the platform itself is, you know, it's a community. It's got profiles on there. You upload projects. Um, it is it is like a, a, a community. Um, but, yeah, I think we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for our community. And that started off in Melbourne. Yeah. And really in the early days, we had a WordPress website that was sort of hacked into this media kit tool yeah and we got i think in the first couple of months we got sort of 30 subscribers and most of them were, were friends so nick yep. you know nick uh, my co-founder nick family yep. he is an architect turned architectural photographer so we just both went out to all of the people that we knew and said hey do you want to sign up and so many of those people are still with us on that original price um so yep. you know riding that gravy chain um but, <laughs> they, but are, it, it proved... they are very happy with themselves let's go <laughs> yeah, that's right um, you know, the, the people who support you, you want to support them yep. Uh, yep. in return. So, yeah, I think the, the fact that we grew out of a really tight-knit community in Melbourne, and, and Melbourne is a, a centre for architecture, you know, around the world, people recognise Melbourne mm. um, for its architecture and, and Australia in general, but mm. definitely Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, the way that we grew is the way that we continue to grow. We go into cities that have a, a strong architectural presence and we build a community um, we teach architects as much as as much as we can. So we yeah. we give we give information away um, for free. That's really important. You you've got to give away everything that you can, everything you can afford to give away. You yep. do, yeah. um, and that again, that's about reinforcing um, the community. Yeah. So when you sort of uh, you have kind of an uh, I suppose a philosophy about the architecture media and the public and architects and and this relationship and. It sort of sounds like that kind of is part of almost maybe maybe Melbourne kind of architecture culture or Australian architecture culture that you guys are maybe exporting that to certain places, I guess. But when you when you go to other places, do you find that the the relationship that the public and architects have is can be very very different? Are there, there are lots of different sort of versions of it out there, or what what are you guys sort of insight into? into I, I think because of the practice of architecture, because it's the same fundamentally the same all around the world, you know, little little bits around the edges that are different around planning and things like that. Um, but generally the process of architecture is so similar around the world that you can walk into a room with an architect anywhere, whether that's, you know, um, Israel or um, New York or Sydney, um, and you know that you're going to be able to connect around the practice of architecture. Um, so I think that, you know, all of that's really similar. But as we've jumped around, to different parts of the world. I think that it's probably that relationship between the public and architecture that is is where the difference is. So mm. I'd say in, 
you know, in the UK, particularly London um, and Melbourne, we have that that similarity there. And I think that the public is quite well informed around architecture or have a general understanding of the value of architecture. Um, and then you, you can go to other places in the US where, you know, architects and the, the people who are going to be hiring them um, or engaging them um, are actually worlds apart and they struggle a little more to connect yep. with those those clients. Um, and, you know, that's not everywhere in the US. Um, but then you have you have differences of cities. So somewhere like New York, there's not a lot of architecture that can happen on a smaller scale in a city like New York. So you're talking sure. about a lot of interior architecture um, and interior design in places like that. So it definitely, you know, there's all these different little nuances, but essentially because the practice of architecture and design is the same around the world, um, you know, we all yep. we all understand what we're talking about. So Yeah, that was really interesting what you sort of mentioned about in contrast some cities where you mentioned that architects and their that the public or their clients can be kind of worlds apart, maybe not really understanding each other or maybe just not even really exposed to each other as much. Um, mm. Do you think that the media or the existence of a, a strong architecture media plays a really big role in that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think architecture media is, is interesting. It's this tiny little niche within a niche within a niche in so many ways. Um, yeah. The audience is massive. So the, the reality of a niche nowadays like architectural media um, is, you know, huge massive because the world is so big um but i i think that um the biggest the biggest challenge really is getting into mainstream media and you see these mm -hmm. different publications over time or, or mediums that have um pushed into mainstream so things like grand designs the the tv show mm -hmm. um which obviously came out of out of the uk um that's probably the biggest shift in getting architecture out to the public that's ever happened uh, and i think because it's so much a part of the psyche now i think people don't really give it the credit that it deserves mm. um and I, I think that's really that still is architecture's biggest challenge is explaining what it is that architects do to the general public um and i think for us we we know that the one of the keys to that is going into mainstream newspapers um national press uh, and actually going out there and talking to directly to the clients when they're or potential clients when they're sitting down on a saturday sunday morning looking through the newspaper that's when you need to be connecting on that level um but you know that that obviously we're talking mainly about residential architecture there yeah. but there's lots of other things that people don't always think of when they think of architectural publishing. So a big one would be the open house program. So mm -hmm. open house worldwide network all over the world, uh, over 40 programs, I think, um, that run these open house weekends where basically you're opening up architecture to the public and they're getting to experience it firsthand. That's a huge, huge thing for, for people to do. And um, it allows people to understand the public to understand intrinsically the value of, of architecture by standing in a building or in a space. Yeah, so that's interesting. So it might not even just be, so say that you're in a city that maybe doesn't have, uh, you feel like the public are maybe a little uninformed about the value of good architecture. Uh, and yeah. so some things that you can do about it would be, firstly, I guess, well, the most common thing would be, I suppose, focus on trying to get your own work to get covered in the mainstream media. Like that's obviously gonna be, everyone's interested in that, which we'll talk about yeah. a little bit more. Um, yeah. But there's also, as you mentioned, other ways that people can do it. So open houses, uh, event, so events in general can be could be a good way to generate 
you know, yeah, there's, I mean, intimacy. Yeah, around the world, there's so many homes tours. Um, it might yeah. be your local um, institute chapter. It might be, it could be any any sort of event. It may not be a pure architecture focus. It might just be an open homes tour that has all sorts of things in it. But those are the things that architects can get involved in to talk directly to their community. But I think it's um, it's really doing as much as you possibly can to get out there. I think one of the challenging things, and we have this particularly in Australia, but I, I expect that it's mm. similar around the world, is that sort of newspapers, mainstream publications, it's really hard to put your hand up and find someone and get published. That sort of that sort of process is really difficult unless there's a dedicated real estate homes editor yep. who understands architecture. It's really hard to do that. Yep. Um, we've had some success here in Australia working with um, Australian community media. So okay. they actually create content from regional architects. They will put together content and then they syndicate it throughout a whole range of um, regional newspapers. Okay. And that was something that before people would come to us and say, I want to get into my local newspaper. And we, we it took us quite a while to sort of figure out how you knock on the door of that because it's essentially centralized content created um, up in Sydney, I think, yeah. um, but created in one place and then distributed out. So people were going and trying to send a an email to, um, you know, editor at um, Geelong Times. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that would never go anywhere because that's probably um, a relatively junior journalist who's been put on a, a regional publication who right, okay. is uh, focused on football and, you know, what, yeah. what's what's happening at the the markets this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that was something, that was a realisation for us. And I think that's it's actually a beautiful case study that Australian community media because they were attracted to Bowerbird because of all of the content that was there. So we had a, a critical mass of, of architects that were there with their content ready to go. And it meant that that newspaper, I mean, really, it's, it's an opportunity for the whole practice of architecture, the whole community to compete with, you know, less architectural content, less mm -hmm. architectural homes content. So it mm -hmm. might be more of a real estate approach if it wasn't for that. So, you know, that's a really, if you can get a group of architects together to do a task together, whether that's, you know, homes tour or reaching out to a publication um, and saying, hey, you know, we're all here. You should start writing more content. That stuff really, really works. That's interesting. So did that Australian, was Australian community media, was that effective because it was, it, it sort of gathered it all together in one place and then when they went looking for it, those local publications, it's there and it's easier for them to find. So that so that actually works better than reaching out to your local publication in general because they don't want the inbound. <laughs> they want to they want to go and find the content, right? Is well, that or it's the the reality of all, every journalist everywhere, whether it's a design journalist or, you know, newspaper journalist, whatever it is um, they're trying to do so much more with so much less, so less budget, mm. you know, photography budgets out the window for most mm. most publications. Um, and the editorial teams are getting cut yep. constantly. So I think once you realize that what you have as an architect, if you're producing beautiful um, content, so well photographed content um, that's interesting, yep. You, ha you have this real opportunity to go and connect with people who are looking for that content um, because they don't have enough time to go and produce it anymore. They don't have the budgets to go and produce it. And that's definitely been a shift, you know, within publishing in general, but definitely within architectural media. Um, publications used to create a lot of the content themselves. Yep. Um, and now that burden, um, or perhaps we like to look at it as an opportunity, opportunity for architects, yep. <laughs> yep. um, is now falling to, to the architects to do that. 
Yeah, so I definitely want to ask you some questions about sort of putting ourselves in the in the editor's shoes or the journalist's shoes. You know, how can we kind of make yeah. their uh, their life a little bit easier? Um, but I'm interested to kind of get your take on. In fact, no, let's go. Let's actually go there because I think that's such a really good point you raised. That you know they are trying to do a lot more with less, and this sort of uh, part of the process that. Um, Balbert has been a really strong advocate for and you Nick and the rest of the Balberters have been you know speaking about over the last few years has been mm. to try and encourage architects to be proactive about um, being kind of maybe a bit strategic in how we think about framing our projects and producing media kits simplifying the information down making it easier to understand for journalists um, yeah. how does it how does an editor or a journalist you know go about covering architecture in 2020 you know in the mainstream media let's look outside of the architecture media and just you know what why does it come on their radar is it is it the architecture's kind of news what how, what do they see as newsworthy in architecture these days uh, i'd just love to get your kind of thoughts on you know how they're sort of well, perceiving it if, if you do look at the the mainstream media or we'll say more mainstream media yeah, mainstream you know, some, good, yeah, yeah because some of this some of the design media now is is moving yeah. into that mainstream realm yeah. where you know things like design design boom where their audience is much broader than just you know design nerds yeah um i i think that what i mean regardless of where you're talking about it, you're you're trying to deliver something for your audience so you so as a journalist you're going what do my audience want to read if you're talking about online, there's you know this clickbait stuff, and yep. I know there's lots of lots of commentary out there about the Instagrammable yep. architecture and interior design thing, um, which a lot of people lament. Um, but really, you're looking for something that relates to your readers. So that clickbait or that click content, whatever you know, that mm -hmm. archi porn, mm -hmm. people are going, oh look, I want to I want to see myself in that space. So that's yep. that's amazing. I want to I want to check that out. So I think journalists and, and particularly people still working at print publications they're looking for a balanced um selection of projects in each issue um and even online as well they're not they don't want to keep pushing out the same sort of content so they are lo always looking for different um we have this this sort of graph that we use which is um unique and sexy yeah so um something if something is really unique um it's got a lot of journalists it will have a lot of journalist interest um, and if it's really sexy, like if it's just, even if it's been seen, like similar things have been seen before, if it's really beautiful, yep. um, it's going to get interest as well. And wherever you are along that, that continuum, you can, you can actually have this, these projects that are unique and beautiful, absolutely stunning. Yep. And those are always the ones that will get picked up. And so a lot of people, you know, a lot of those ones, when you're scrolling through design, you'll just see lots and lots of those sorts of projects. Yep. Um, but, but really, I think. I think that's the that's the key. Journalists are looking for things that their audience will like because the money machine behind publishing is looking to sell ads or copies of magazines, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. So it needs to be attractive to the audience. And I think this is one of the things that I try to get through to architects is um, if you are trying to get to that mainstream audience, um, but even the architectural audience as well, mm. try try to put your potential clients in that place and one of the easiest ways to do that is to to get your clients to talk about what it is that you're doing and yeah it's it's a tricky it's a tricky thing sometimes clients don't want to be involved um it's i always think it's amazing that architects get um are able to get f photographs of houses anyway because uh, yeah. a lot of clients will be like oh i don't know how to you yeah. know if i want that um but if you can get your clients to talk whether that's just you know through 
testimonials or whether they can actually be featured in an article. That is the kind of stuff that journalists love. And a lot of the news media um, and just print publications as well, they want to be able to talk about the clients and they also like to be able to talk about the budget, um, yeah, which is course. an unusual thing. But sometimes those are the things that will get you over the line. So maybe it's an article in Dwell magazine. Um, yep. They want to know. They want to talk to the clients. Um, they'll probably want to ha- have a photo of the clients, uh, and they want to talk about budget. And the number of times I've seen projects not get into a publication like like Same. Dwell mm-hmm. because of those because of those reasons. Dwell specifically, you know, yeah, like yeah. even not wanting to use the client's real first names can be a, you know, you're out. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. And I, and I, yeah. Well, I think I think that's it. That's an interesting. It's an interesting thing to to talk about because. Mm. I think a lot of architects, I mean, there's this thing around your moral rights, your, your, mm. your ability to go and photograph the house. Mm. That's, that's one thing. And that's usually accepted around the world that architects yeah. should be able to do that. But really, you've got to be thinking about media from the beginning all the way through mm-hmm. um, rather than just waiting until the project's done and then going, okay, we're bringing the photographer in and yep. the client's like, oh, you know, they're kind of stepping back. And if you've, if you've waited for, you know, gardens to grow in and things like that, that house kind of belongs to them now. And yeah. so if you haven't got that good relationship um, or that consistent relationship around the fact that, you know, there is going to be a, a media, um, you know, some sort of media at the end of this, then it can be really difficult conversation to have. And I think a lot of young, or no, sorry, young, but yep. um, new practices, they they often get caught up in that and their first project, they actually get blocked by the client. Yep. And it's one of those things where it might be in the contract, but that's, basically irrelevant at that point um so we we often talk about having that conversation really early on and then as you're starting to get to that point where where the project's you know coming to completion before they've before they've felt themselves move in before they've taken true ownership of the project bring it up again and start talking about you know oh this this space is going to photograph beautifully you know we've got our photographer john he's going to come in and photograph this space and just bring it back up at that point and make sure that that's you know that's apparent that that's going to happen. But we also talk about that that photo shoot being the true handover of the project. And if you can get that into people's minds, you know we're going to do a shoot. It's going to be a really fun day. You know we'll bring the champagne, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, starting to think about those things. If you're a resident, obviously we're talking, yeah. again we're talking about residential architecture. Mm-hmm. But I think that idea of thinking about your project right from the beginning, you're, it's not in a cynical way. It's not in a I'm a big marketer sort of way. You don't have to be, um, you know, constantly doing tacky posts on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. People like to see the journey, not deterring people from doing Instagram posts. Um, but but really, you're you're trying to um, you're trying to prepare this content, and the best way to do that is to be thinking about it the whole way along. What is the story of this project? Why is it different? And the great thing about architecture is every project is different. People will come to us at Bowbird and say. Um, you know, what sort of success rates do you get for publishing? And we go, well, first of all, we say, look, we wouldn't be meeting with you if we didn't think you were going to have a whole heap of success here. Mm. Um, but it's this its this thing of everything is different. Every project is different. Every practice is different. Every audience is different. So you can't actually just measure and say, oh, you know, do this, get this result. Um, so I think, you know, lean into that. Really figure out what is different about the project. And invariably, if you have... A different client, different architect, each project is going to be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to be a really like 
cynical marketer you'd actually sort of allow that maybe to even influence you throughout the design process but that's kind of forbidden to plenty, a certain... <laughs> you know. plenty of people plenty of people out there doing it though yeah uh, not, exactly yeah, of, yeah. yeah thinking you know this project needs to be more interesting maybe is a sort of a thought that you could naturally sort of see running through your mind even though it's not something that we really talk that openly about as, as I think industry. I think most people, most editors would see through though, or they do see through That's those those yeah. sorts of things. So, um, you know, especially again, I'll say print editors. So, yeah. that's, I suppose it's something to talk about. Yeah, print. We we look at print now, and um, you know, there's not a heap more magazines than there used to be. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't think it's had the decline that perhaps other sectors yeah. have had within print. Um, but really, the difference between print and online generally is that print um, is able to spend a bit more money producing mm-hmm. uh, good journalistic content and mm-hmm. not republishing press releases. Again, this yep. is generalization, but um, our, our view is that that's what's happening. Um, so, you know, that the, the quality of a print article or the, a print journalist is going to be much more critical of a project and they're going to dig a little deeper and make sure that the story is um, unique or, or just very interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, interesting. So the unique, sexy, you know, grid paradigm. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting to think about how to pos- how to position a project on that. Um, do you think that the the intended sort of target audience plays a or, or the intended publication that you're aiming for plays a big part in you know what is the unique factor that you focus on about the project or what makes it sexy? Is that kind of eye in the beholder based on where you're hoping that it will kind of end up? Um, I think this is probably one of the one of the traps that people fall into. So um, the idea that you need to package your project up in a particular way for a particular publication. Mm. There's no there's no doubt that certain print publications like a certain photographic style. And that's where you want to be talking to your photographer and saying, Mm. look, ultimately, we'd like this to end up somewhere like dwell. Yeah. Um, or somewhere like wallpaper. Yeah. And and that, and if you if you've got hired yourself a good architectural photographer, they're going to understand the nuances there. Yeah. But beyond that, beyond sort of targeting yeah. one print publication, which is a bit of a hail mary unless you've mm. already locked it in beforehand. Um, really, it's just got to be beautiful architectural images, um, well shot, and it's going to find so many places out there. Um, and this idea that you sort of go, okay, well, we're going to pitch this story in this particular way to this um, to this publication, then we're going to change it and pitch it this way to another publication. Yeah. I would just say give as much information to all the journalists as you possibly can. They will pick and choose the pieces that they like. If you give someone 200 words, they've only got 200 words to work with. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about copy-paste. So you'll put together a statement um, and all of these blogs will just sort of paste the same content. Well, if you give a 1,000 words worth of content within a press kit, none of them are going to print or, or publish a 1,000 words on a website. They're going to choose bits and pieces. Yeah. So. You know, I, I think just give as much as you can. And I think this is, this is something that I go back to all the time because when I was um, working uh, in-house for a design publisher, I was the web editor. And it was we had to push out, I think it was 10 stories um, a week on each, each one of our websites. So it, it was a lot of yeah. content. And we were, you know, trying to be properly journalistic about it back then as well. So writing the content, not yeah. just copying and pasting. Um, but... There was um, Andrew Maynard Architects, now Austin Maynard Architects, um, has always been a legend from, in my mind for um, for sharing content with the media. Yeah. So when they finish a project, they put all of their content on a page on their website. 
all of the images, high-res images to download and like more, more text than you can usually do anything with. Um, and that to me is the, is the model. You should be providing way more content than any one publication can use. Um, and, you know, they, they definitely do that thing of, we talk about exclusives where certain print publications or most print publications will want a period of exclusivity on a project. That means they want to publish it first and they want to protect that content for a, a period of time, or they might just want it protected until it gets published. Um, so they, they, you know, I'm sure Austin may not do that as well, but the idea was when I was a print, uh, sorry, when I was a digital editor, I'd be sitting there going, okay, I've only got seven stories this week. Where am I going to go to get that content? And this was before Bowerbird. Um, and so, um, Maynard was always the place that I would go first. Wow, I, I'd know that even even older projects, I could revamp them. I could come up with a new angle on an older project, but I know that all that content's there and all I really need to do if permission's already been given, which it kind of was a blanket permission given at that at that point with um, with Andrew, I'd be able to go on, download content, publish a story. That's um, so cool. And, and I think when Nick came to me with the idea um, all those years ago, um, that was when I went, that's, that's it. You know, yeah, that's what yeah. we're trying to do. We're yeah. trying to give journalists um, access to that content. information about the projects as much as possible. Yeah. Because prior to, I mean, prior to Balbert, I and mean, the idea of a media kit in the small architecture space is just unheard of, really. I mean... Yeah. What what were people doing? Putting a little bit of a description on their website, and that was that was about if, it. I tell if you what, lucky, if you're lucky, right? Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. lucky, it's usually just a few few pictures. The, the, I mean, it, it's surprising to us now. Like, I think in Melbourne, we've been here for such a long time, and and um, our community is so savvy when it comes to media. Yeah. Um, and just you know, storytelling, sharing their projects. Yeah. Um, but we still we still have, I mean, so many so many practices that we meet with. And we say, oh, what do you currently do with media? And they say, oh, well, we've been approached here and there by editors. So this idea that you just sit back and wait for yeah. editors to, mm. to knock on your door. And, you know, that would that would work great if all of the editors worked on your street and they walk yeah. past your office and they're seeing, they you know, a project your in your window. At your site, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not the reality of media anymore. No, no. I mean, editors don't have time to go for a walk down the street, yeah. to be perfectly yeah. honest. Um, so, so I think that um, that idea that, editors will come to you and your work speaks for itself your work may you know with images um speak yeah. for itself but if you can't be found uh, how yeah. are those editors going to find you and i think some of the th quite often um architects will look at these what we call hero publications so the, there's usually a, a local or you know countrywide mm -hmm. um publication that everyone respects you know a yep. journal um yep. or a, a very well respected sort of homes magazine yep. that people know about and they, they spend all their energy trying to get into that. And maybe they'll get in once a year. But you're missing all of these opportunities that are out there now. Mm -hmm. There are so many websites. There are so many Instagram accounts. There are YouTube mm -hmm. channels. There are all these things. And if you're mm -hmm. not proactively putting yourself out there, someone else will get that Will get that publication. Yeah, that's so interesting. Just going quickly back to Austin Maynard's website or previously mm -hmm. when it was Andrew Maynard when you were in your role. Was yep. this a, just looking at it really practically, was this a page that would be sort of, hidden or was are we talking about the project pages and they were just overwhelmingly full of information very candid uh, well no i no it was it was definitely a um well my understanding is that it was definitely a a media strategy 
Yep. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't just that their website had a lot of, of content yep. for each project. I mean, it may, it may have been the website as well. Um, yep. I feel like that might have shifted now. I'd have sure. to go back and have, yep. have a yep. look. Yep. Um, but, but I think, you know, having special content for press is going to be really important. Yep. Clients don't necessarily need all of that detail and they might right, find okay. it overwhelming. So images, yes, that's fine. You yep. know, include all your images on your website. I don't see any problem with that. Mm. Um, but as far as providing a lot of detailed content, product, it's product probably better to- like the who's involved, all that kind of, all the, yeah. all the detail that you would probably want to convey to the media is probably not going to be- Not as relevant. The yeah. first impression that you're necessarily going to give to- But, that, but in but saying that, that package, yeah. that package of content could be something that you wheel out when you're having a client meeting. You know, Absolutely. One of, maybe one of the first meetings where you can actually go, well, look, this is all the content that we prepare for the media and you can see the products and all of those yeah. things. So yeah, I think you will never you will never be sad about creating that content. That yeah. will never be wasted time. Um, yeah. But I think as your website and you know, most architects that we talk to are, are getting a better understanding that their website is the portal for their clients more than anything. Um, and then as far as the media, you can have a, a separate portal. So something like Bowbird or, or yep. you know, that detailed press kit is, yep. is important. That's very, very cool. So you mentioned the sort of the two factors that you think that the mainstream media kind of is especially in love with, which is kind of the client and the money <laughs> and sort of... Um, maybe, you know, ironically, but kind of really the two things that architects are really eager to omit from any communication about their projects generally. Those are the two things that we want to be secretive about, the money and the clients, and it's kind of flipped in terms of what's actually interesting to people. So uh, it could it could be because it could be because of that. Because, because these it's, are things that, right, <laughs> that it's sort of about. it's taboo, right? We never get to find out about kind of yeah. the lives of these clients. Um, I think it's Oh, sorry. I, I, I think it, I think it's really this. Um, it feeds into this narrative around architecture being an elitist thing. So um, we don't talk about we don't talk about money. Um, we sort of hide the clients away quite quite often. And I don't think that that's architects doing that. I think it's architects being sensitive to their clients. You yeah. know, being respectful, not sensitive, but respectful yeah. of your clients. Um, and so that, but you know, that becomes this this really interesting thing. But what what ends up happening is we when you don't talk about something. So if you spend um, mm. your whole time not talking about how much you charge for a service, people mm. are going to just assume that that's really expensive. Yeah. Um, so with architects not having that, not being able to have that conversation in some instances, or, or choosing not to, yeah. um, you you sort of miss this opportunity because there'll be a whole heap of people out there for whom that price is actually reasonable and yeah. to, to miss that opportunity to talk about it um, but you're also setting expectations so i think the price is a really interesting one so the, the cost of the project um it's um it, it's something that people want to know they, they want to know about it like you, you want to want you want to understand um what's what something is going to cost but you know what? The story is the thing that justifies mm. that cost, and I think that's perhaps where some of the some of the sensitivity comes from. It's this idea of people don't understand how much work goes into a project, so mm. they're not going to be willing to pay that. So if you say to someone, you know, this this house extension was a million dollars, and you do, you're not telling a story, you're just going, "Here's the price." How are they supposed to understand the value in that? And I think the other th the other interesting thing with the price for architects is that. Architects are going in and doing the fighting for a whole heap of other people who actually 
make that money or that cost is is sort of separated out across all these different people but the architect is so often the one coming in and fighting for the budget for the build you know yep. fighting for the engineering budget all of those things um and so as, as an architect you're only getting a percentage of that but you're fighting for the entire yep. <laughs> the entire amount um so i think you know that sensitivity around the cost or around the budget is um it's understandable. I definitely, um, you know, don't blame anyone for not not talking about it. But if you can talk about it, there are opportunities that come out of that as well. Yeah. And do you think that as architects in the, let's say, in the residential space, maybe do start to work with wider audiences or sort of non-traditional audiences for architectural services, let's put it that way, um, hmm. that maybe that, that sort of that culture of secrecy might start to kind of naturally shift as it, or do you think that's kind of yeah? What are your thoughts on that? Well, we th- there's this there's this concept of um, of category advertising mm. versus brand advertising. So most architects, I- I'm using the word advertising here mm-hmm. interchangeable yep. with getting published yep, or sure. doing some marketing. Yep. Um, so um, a brand advertising that's the equivalent of a practice going out and saying you know John Smith Architects, yep. this is what we do, and you're trying to get people to come to you just to your company. Yep. Um, the problem that architecture has is that maybe architecture is only getting 10% of the potential market. So the whole industry is only getting 10% of the potential sure. market somewhere. Um, so what architecture needs to do is category advertising. And so there are organizations that do this to an extent, but they're yep. often very professionally focused. So um, things like registration boards, things like yep. that, you know, they, they're going out there and saying, this is why an architect is important, but the burden shouldn't just be upon them. So if, if you're an architect and you're promoting your work, um, you aren't just promoting your work, you're promoting the practices of architecture. So, so if we as a community all go out there, uh, not saying architects here, but the entire community goes out there and tries to get that other 90% of people to under- just to understand what it is that architects do, we grow the pie. There are so many more opportunities. You're not fighting for clients anymore. You're, you know, there's more clients than you could possibly service. So, you know, I, I think that, uh, that idea of getting out to the mainstream and doing that category advertising, architecture exists and this is why it's important. Everyone has a role to play in that, and great if it if it has a benefit to your brand, which it will. Um, but if it has a benefit to your brand, that's great. But remember that every piece of work that you do to communicate your work has a benefit to the whole whole sector and the whole industry. Mm, that's interesting. It's very interesting because that's also sort of a uh, it's an interesting dilemma in terms of what are the incentives for small architecture practices to um, to, to to make the effort. Um, in terms of two things like advertising to, again, advertising, but communicating, should we say, to a much bigger addressable market than they're ever possibly, you know, looking to actually work for, whether that's geographically or just the broadness of the entire community. And they might be see themselves as a lot more niche and targeted that than that. So, so in a sense, they could see that getting published or investing the effort in getting published in the more mainstream media, it's kind of maybe potentially in their mindset casting the net a little bit too wide perhaps um and there's also the geographic component which is that you know typically a lot of architects get their work from within this really skinny little radius around their office and then you know they're not really interested in the further afield stuff or or at least it doesn't seem like that happens so it's tough because how do you grow the pie how do you do these things that are a little bit broader in in nature when yeah 
I'll use I'll use a euphemism for fake news here. It's a yep. it's a false it's a false narrative. Yeah. So um, any any business outside of seriously, I think outside of architecture, any business yep. where you said, look, cast your net wider. Yeah. Everyone would go, of course. Yeah. However, I can build my audience. However, I can get out to more people yep. is is a great thing. And for some reason, within architecture, and I, I think we could we can sort of understand why it is. Yep. Um, the idea is that you you want to be more exclusive. Usually that's because a higher higher cost product, like we are generally talking about a higher cost product, um, by creating that narrative of exclusiveness and, you know, finding the right clients and, you know, that being harder has, has a lot of benefit. It means that you can justify, um, and I don't think that, I don't think there's massive profits. I'm not suggesting that it's a massive profit mm-hmm. business, but it is a high, high cost um, yep. product, I suppose, that architects are, um, are putting out there. So, you know, I, I think this idea of, Oh, if I cast my net too wide, I'm going to end up with whether that's tire kickers or I'm going to have clients that I don't like. It, it's false. What you need to be doing is making sure that your message is very clear. So what is the work that you want to do more of? That's what we always say to anyone that we meet. What work would you like to be doing more of? And usually architects can say that straight away with yep. absolute certainty. This is the work we like doing and we'd like to get more of those clients. Once you know that, the way you talk about your projects is going to, and usually that's talking about your clients and the story behind the projects, that's going to relate to those people. So if you love working with, you know, um, families of four with dogs, share the projects that are a family of four with dogs if you have that that content, yep. but start to share those things. And quite often I think architects, especially in small residential practices, they're wanting to find people like them because that's a much easier conversation. They know how to design for people like them. So the easiest way, even if you don't have any projects, is to talk about you. So if you're, you know, if you're a, a you know, 30-something couple uh, with one kid and a dog, put that on the website yeah. talk about that. So so once you, once you get that figured out, once you figure out what it is that you want and you start talking about that, casting your net wide, you're not going to end up with any of these people who don't relate to that. You're going to end up with more of the people who do relate to it. So, so anyone who says, you know, oh, we don't want to get published here or there, mm. I, I really, I, I struggle with. And that's mm. not, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm not from a marketing, um, yep. advertising background. I'm saying that from, from a, you know, yeah. a professional sense um, that you, you, want to, you want to be doing that. Spread it as far and wide as you can. Um, and I think there, there are some... Uh, some architects who worry about particular publications because of the ethics of those publications. And this is usually around particularly newspaper, um, uh, you know, supplements and things like that, where it could be a particular, um, you know, yeah, international, <laughs> internationally high-profile person Media that, for whom they go like, yeah, let's go with that, let's go with that. Um, and so they don't want to be featured in that. And, and I think that is a really missed opportunity to be doing this category advertising yeah, to wow. a new a new area, a new, new part of the market. So people might go, oh, but the people who are reading that publication, are, they're not really going to be my kind of people. You know, they're, sure. they're going to be yeah, someone who yeah. I don't want to work with. And it goes on both sides. I'm not suggesting that there's a left-right thing there. It's just yeah, you'll have yeah. different people who, who are attracted to different audiences or different publications. What I would say is when you're talking to that audience about the work that you're, do, you're doing, it is a broad audience. So it's mm. going to be, there's going to be a lot of people. It's not just people who buy it. It's the people who sit down in a cafe and happen to read it because yeah. it's the only thing there. Yeah. So if you can be talking to them about what you do um, and the value of what you do, you're going to find those clients. So anyone who says, oh, you know, we just prefer to go to the local schoolyard and talk to the parents there. That's how we get all of our work. Well, 
those are the people who are reading publications as well. So it's reinforcing with those people. Just spread it far and wide. Make sure that the stories that you're telling uh, relate to the people you want to work with. Yeah, and that's been your mantra for as long as I remember. Bowbird's mantra is like spread it far and wide. And I think I think it's interesting because I mean there is a there is a tendency to want to. There's something very attractive about the idea that targeted is better. And it just may not be. I mean, it's not really based on anything. It's just you could you could really, you know, I've definitely gone down that road of in certain circumstances having a bias towards a more targeted strategy because I think it sounds better on paper, right? <laughs> but but in but in reality, I mean, it's it, as long as you're focused on the message being, I don't know what the right word is, not accurate, but maybe compelling, maybe honest, maybe a good reflection of what your work is about, then broad is good. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that, um, I, like, I think the concern is legitimate. And I think we see yeah. this across all media now. And it, it plays back into what I was saying before that journalists are time poor. And so you end up with this press release regurgitation, right? Yeah. That's real. Not, not sort of, um, don't want to plaster over that, yeah. but what you're able to do with that is the important thing. So if you're spreading, if you're spreading your message far and wide, if your images around your architecture is getting out there more, yes, there's an archiporn element which is massive and growing, yeah. but mm -hmm. you're also competing with other content. So you're out there to say, you know what? Even though this is archiporn, here's here's architecture, and the content that goes with it is going to talk about architects and the value of architects. No matter how you look at it, that is going to be in yeah. there, and you're going out to a much broader audience with that content. So I think you know there, there's definitely concerns around that, and as a company, we you know we're aware of those things, and that's why we we like to support um, all different publications and all different forms of um, of journalism because we don't want to lose that that sort of critical yep. thought or that high quality journalism as well. So. You know, I, I think I think there's there's it's it's not to say that you're insane for going. Oh, but I don't really want to be featured on this Instagram account. Um, you know, you have you have a right to choose where you want your content to go. But um, yeah, it's definitely something that we should be thinking about getting out to a much broader audience, even if the benefits from that aren't seen until the next generation of architects um, start up. I think most architects understand it's their obligation to to sort of promote the profession as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and yeah. probably um to it's not something that you can kind of do once uh, as a as a profession, let's say once a once a decade have a good go at it, educate the public, grand designs comes out, the marky porn's yeah. taking off and then just coast for the next 30 years and not change anything, right? Like it needs to be It'd be nice needs, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But the the public, you know, you, there needs to be that constant sort of re-education, right? And 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 putting it out there and keep on messaging around it, and keeping it up to up to date, right? Yeah, and I think you know, I think we we've, we've touched on it a few times, but it's not just about spreading out far and wide online, for example. Yeah. You want to be you want to be hitting all these different yeah. types of media and events, and you just want to be making it part of your regular. You know, it's a habit. Once a week, yeah. you're you're going to go and try and get something published. Um, and I think, you know, coming back to Open House, so I used to work for Open House Melbourne. That's why I, I sort of can talk about it with um, yeah. with some authority. So, you know, th those programs are, are probably the best public outreach programs that you can do. So if you have an Open House program in your city, no joke, send them an email today um, yeah. and say, I'd like to take part. And again, that can be difficult with, with um, private homes, but talk to your clients about those sorts of things because 
most architecture clients understand that they're custodians of something as well. They understand that that that, that home um, is is going to last a long time, um, and that they you know they might not always be the people who live there or inhabit yeah, that space. Sure. So, you know that that's that's the most important thing that we can do: get it out to more of the public. Um, and I think you know with the open house program, that's a really interesting one because there's there's like this gate. It's like this gateway drug. A lot of the public come to those open house things to go and see the historic buildings or you know mm. large public buildings, yep. and then they get drawn in and they're like, oh, oh, this is a, there's a house around the corner for me, and yep, we go and yep, check yep. that out as well. <laughs> exactly. And all of a sudden, you end up with thousands and thousands of of archi nerds yeah, roaming abs- around. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I, I even like seeing from my own experience with my clients, even if they haven't been part of an open house program because maybe the timing's not right or whatever, but they mm. they run their own open house and promote that as much as they can. And that's some, some, yeah. really some of the most successful, uh, some of the most real and authentic sort of, you know, introductions to the general public that you can, mm. that you can get really like even you know it doesn't exactly it doesn't all have to be kind of online stuff it can be that offline element as well i really like i like that you mentioned that point about doing something every week which i feel like knowing architects is really at odds with how they tend to go about their media and their pr um or their marketing where it's kind of like a very big surge of activity coinciding with you know getting the photos back from your photographer that lasts for a week or two and then practically nothing until the next time you've got a new project um so in terms of sort of things that people can do more consistently in between pro um, projects do you have any sort of suggestions beyond just sort of sending the project out in that first go it, it's always, you know, you're always going to have a spike when it, when a project comes in. You're going to have mm. extra work to do. But I would just be setting aside time each week. So the, the interesting thing about architecture is you tend to not have these weekly processes because projects stretch out over yeah. a really long period. Yeah. So, you know, having, having that weekly structure is sort of different for a project. But as far as your marketing and your media and what you're doing, it's very easy to have one task that you do. And and we often talk about, you know, Friday afternoon sitting down with a beer or a wine or a coffee um, yeah. and just and just kind of going, all right, I'm going to do some work on that. I'm going to do yeah. some marketing. I'm going to reach out to five journalists. If you're doing that once once a week and it could be less than an hour's worth of work, mm. um, you're going to have that consistency. It's going to run throughout the year. And the thing about architecture is you, you keep building up this content. So... You're, you're building up new, unique content every time you finish a project, every time you get to a new stage on a project. So over time, you have these projects, they might be 10 years old, but still have relevance. There's, still, there's publications that are cropping up now that weren't around 10 years ago. But mm-hmm. if the photography stands up yeah. and, the, and the design stands up, if they haven't aged, you've got a whole new audience there, yeah. more people, more pairs of eyes that can see that. So if you can just have that weekly task where you're going in and it might be, you know, I know you would have dealt with this a lot, but you know, it might be posting a few or scheduling a few posts on Instagram. It might just be updating your website, whatever it is, even if it's just half an hour, an hour each week, that is going to put you leaps and bounds ahead of anyone who's not focusing on that. Yeah. Or even just trying to capture what happened, what decisions were made in the project in the previous Mm -hmm. week as part of saving, knowing that you're going to be publishing that project at a certain point in time and starting to even look forward maybe and not having to do it all as a one big kind of rush when you finish the project. Um, yeah. That's really, really cool. So, I mean, that's 
That's something that it, it it's just it feels like it's not caught on as general practice. Um, and I like that point you made about just the difference between the two timelines um, and that there's this much quicker cycle that marketing and sort of communication and business development happens on. And then architecture yeah. is this kind of long, slow grinding process that unfolds over you know months or maybe even years sometimes. Um, yeah. Do you guys find that, uh, you know, in terms of the conversations that you have with, uh, your customers, the architecture mm. practices that are in your community. Uh, do you do you kind of have conversations with them in those periods, kind of leading up to um, once things are starting to get closer with a finished project? Is that when you know if people start reaching out to you guys? What sort of conversations do you have with um, um, firms, or, or what kind of advice do they come to you guys for around the time a project is getting nearer to being well, completed? You, usually, usually that's when people sign up. Um, to Bowbird yeah. <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah. is when they finish the project. So we have, we've quite, uh, I can't, I've lost count of the number of people yeah. who sort of say, oh, we'll, we'll sign up when we get to our next project, yeah. you know, which is in six months time yeah. or three months time. Um, so uh, it's it's definitely an impetus when something finishes and you've got those photographs, it's it's an impetus. But we we talk to people about consistency. You know, yeah. you, you need to be consistent and, and remember that the content that you think is old, you know, the project that you put to bed and probably had all these headaches that went with it. You know, you might've put it to bed six months ago. Um, you could just be getting the photographs now and actually be really, you know, triggered by, yeah. <laughs> by those photos. Um, lean lean into it and, and really um, look at the content that you've got and keep trying to push that out. You are always going to connect with someone, whether it's an Instagram account or website or print, there's print publications that publish work that isn't, you know, immediate, that isn't exclusive. Um, they're looking for themes, you know, or issues around themes. So just make it a habit, continually do it. Um, and it pays off. And in, I mean, in big ways, in ways that you don't notice these little bites of things that you do over a year, if, you know, if you're spending, I don't know, 52 hours a year on your media, by the end of that year, you're going to see huge, huge dividends, which is that your profile online, even things as simple as SEO, search engine optimization. If you're getting your projects out on websites that are dedicated to architecture and design, and those are pointing back to you, when someone's searching for, you know, architecture practices in Melbourne, whatever it happens to be, you're going to bump up higher than other practices. So, you know, I think every, every little bit that you can do will benefit to the whole and in no time at all, in architectural terms, yeah. um, you'll you'll have a much better profile out there. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you. And 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 we and we're kind of talking from the perspective of people that actually see the different trajectories that firms go on over time, mm -hmm. and we see the ones that are pretty pretty active and consistent. How well they do, and unbelievably well in certain cases, just from just from some of those small activities that they've done that really, you know, haven't replaced or or been a big sacrifice in terms of um you know eating up time that they were spending with clients it's usually just a small amount of stuff but just you know every every week every couple of weeks just, just but just consistently and a variety yeah. of things as well i think not just getting too singular focused on one thing right so it's not just instagram images but you mentioned some other things as well seo filling out that project information contacting yeah. some journalists um, so many things you can do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to just yeah. ask you quickly about uh, yeah. about kind of establishing relationships with specific journalists because this is something mm -hmm. that seems to 
be fairly commonplace at the firms that you tend to notice getting published all the time. And there's a sort of a, there's sort of a, well, you know, where we have a good relationship with a certain publication or it's, it's a, it's a, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a sort of a network aspect to it as well. And I mean, that seems a little bit kind of, um, you know, maybe not in the spirit of what you guys kind of push for, which is that there's this broad sort of spider web of different kind of media across different mediums and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, even when you're dealing with, as an architect, when you're actually dealing with a specific journalist, whether or not you are going to go on to have a long-lasting relationship with them, there's still a sort of, maybe there's some etiquette to how to actually, you know, how to actually work with a journalist and have a relationship with them and how to be courteous to them. Is there any sort of mistakes that you see architects making that uh, from your experience in the media, you think, oh, no, I can't believe that you've done that. Like, does stuff like that ever kind of... Um, yeah, I mean, there, 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 definitely, there definitely is those things. I think, uh, I'll, I'll, I feel like there's sort of two parts there. Yeah, so there's just, two parts. There's uh, sort of the yeah, network just, aspect. I'm interested in your yeah. thoughts on that and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, I think a lot of people will look at those people that they respect, so those practices that they respect, yep. and they'll go, oh, how they built a relationship with that editor there. Yep. I need to get a relationship with that editor. Yep. <laughs> and the reality of it is that they, a lot of these editors are ex-architects or from, you know, from a design background they themselves. And they may have, yeah, yeah, may yeah. have gone to uni together. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing those. Those are fantastic relationships and yep. they result in some really good content. Um, but I think to, to look and try and be that person mm. now is a mistake. So mm. if, if, you're a, if you're a younger practice or a smaller practice or even just, you know, you, you haven't raised your profile mm. enough, look for those editors that are coming up through the ranks mm. um, and start off by making friends with them. And we're not just talking about editors at a publication. We're talking about freelance writers as well. Yeah. Freelance writers are the best people you could ever know, right? Find freelance writers, and do you know how you do that? You flick through the magazine that you that you <laughs> that you've got on, you know, that their everyone names, they're to, written there, right? Okay? You just there'll be a list of their names, or it'll be on every article. Go and connect with them on LinkedIn. Yeah, like, don't be afraid Tell of things them you like love LinkedIn. Their article. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what? The thing about freelancers is they make money from every article that they get published. So you help them to make money. Compared to editors who are very busy generally or in-house journalists, they're very busy producing a lot of other content. You know, they're still interested in your success as well. Yeah. Um, but freelancers are, st- are very interested. They want to find that content before anyone else so they can pitch it to different publications. So, so that's one thing to think about. Don't, don't, look at a, don't look at it as, hey, there's five editors. If I don't know one of them, I'm not going to get published. There are hundreds and thousands of editors that's and freelance writers out there that you should be looking to. So networks aren't built with five people you know they're they're built with hundreds that's so interesting your point about because i want to get the kind of insider info on sort of the actual the the kind of the org chart of of uh, a publication and the role of the freelance writer because i think a lot of times when uh when architects are thinking of building kind of a lead list of these are people that i want to kind of reach out to they do come across the freelance writer and they and they kind of maybe dismiss that or write that off and go like, ah, oh, you know, they're not, they're not part of the furniture at this place. They're just kind of whatever. Mm. They're somebody uh, not, not worth time, you know, move on. Let's find somebody who's kind of, you know, there every day kind of thing. But, mm. but that's an interesting kind of depiction of a freelancer who is actually very, very incentivized to get involved in a project, pitch a project. So is that pretty commonplace in... Very, very really? commonplace across across print um, and um, online. You know, yep. lots of online contributors. Look at something like Dwell.com. Yep. So Dwell.com pays for um, content from freelance writers for online. 
Um, so oh, there's a lot of freelance okay. writers who are trying to pump out content for Dwell, uh, Dwell.com, sorry. Um, and, you know, that, so, so really go to somewhere like Dwell.com. Look for those writers. They could be based in your backyard or they could be based in, who knows, San Francisco, wherever. Yeah. Um, find out who they are. You can follow them on Dwell. Dwell is a bit of a yep. sort of social platform yep. as well. You can follow yep. them. Jump onto LinkedIn, follow them there. Jump, on, jump onto Instagram, follow yep. them there. They are, they're really invested in you because you essentially, that you're the product that they're selling. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, freelancers are way more, in a way, way more important or way more valuable yeah, yeah. than just knowing one editor at so one publication. That's so interesting. So the freelancer, so sort of break that down for me, how that works. So a freelancer will see a project that they think is really interesting, go, oh, brilliant, I'm going to write a story on that. Will they then go to... Uh, their kind of Rolodex of of maybe editors or publications that they think that the project would be a good fit for? And do they, what, say, this project's really cool, would you like me to write a story on it? Or do they go ahead and write the story and then sort of go, here's the... It's, it's more no, of a, gen- they pitch gen- it. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's so many different ways that different sure, writers yeah, do things. Like yep. some, uh, I know of writers who will partner with a photographer to go and actually get all of that content together and then pitch it to a yep. publication. Essentially, prospective work that they're yep. doing there. That's that's not very common. The most common example is what you you've said there. So, they will uh, a freelance writer or a contributor will um, look at a project and go, I think that's going to work really well over here. They'll also be considering things like, I know that publication is full up and they're not going to publish anything for the next 12 months. I'm going to go over here instead. Um, so they're, they're really working quite actively with those editors. And the interesting thing, the shift that's happened over the last few years is that there was a whole heap of editorial teams that got slashed um, just mm. as print became uh, you know, mm. less lucrative. Yep. Um, and so a lot of those uh, editors, in-house editors, are now out there working as freelance writers. Yeah. So it sort of shifted things a bit and ca- I guess casualized the workforce yeah. uh, within yep. editorial. So those, you're talking about people who not only are very um, good writers, but they understand the, the machinations of, exactly. um, of publishing. Yeah. So they're going to know exactly who wants what, when. Um, and again, they're going to push, they're going to keep pushing until they get you a piece of media someone wants to wants to publish something and basically if that freelancer can't find you know they don't have the connections with the particular publications there'll be another one who will go through and you know essentially go and pitch it to a whole other um tranche of of editors Uh, sort of on a similar note but um i've I've come across a i've come across quite a few practices who have really invested like really an arm and a leg in copywriting services either to do with their media kit or their um well i guess that they try to attach it into their award submission maybe we're trying to kind of killing two birds with one stone but that's really smart (laughs) yeah well it it is but do do you what are your sort of thoughts on you know that level of at what point does an architect who's struggling to really frame their story um or to sort of see that with that sort of objectivity around what's interesting about their project, there seems to be an idea of, well, I make the big investment with the copywriter who will help to sort of enlighten me as to what's kind of the best way to communicate this project. How do you sort of see the role of, is it a good idea for architects to bring in those kind of external consultants and maybe invest I, those resources if they can, or what, what are your sort of... Yeah, I mean, it's going to it's going to be it's going to be different right? for different yeah, people, right? Yeah, yeah it's your budget. It's what you're so one one thing we do say is if you if you agonize over creating content, if you spend, mm. you know, a week trying to put together content, whether that's for an award submission or yep. for a publication that your time is more valuable than that. Just look at it in very simple terms. Yep. You know, what would you be billing 
you know, yeah. per hour, um, if that yeah. was a project you were working on, and does that stack up for you? Do you want to spend, especially a lot of sort of um, directors or you know, um, architects who are in charge, they'll they'll spend all this time. It's like actually your money, you could go off yeah. and make ten thousand dollars in a week, and yeah. is that worth it when you could pay someone a thousand dollars to produce yeah. that content? So that's that's probably the first thing that I would always do mm. is just go, how long does it take you to create the content, mm. um, and are you happy with the content that comes out? And we always say every architect is capable, anyone who is working within architecture is capable of putting together a really clear story. And we use brief challenges solutions, mm. beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. If you just write those three titles down and provide some content, you're going to get the story across to yep. journalists. Is there value in hiring a copywriter? And, and, and actually, this is something, it's a common thing that comes up, which when you're on the, the publishing side, you yeah. kind of forget that it's not really clear. So copywriter essentially is someone who you are paying to produce content for you to use in awards, in yeah. um, press releases on your website, right? That's what a copywriter does. Mm -hmm. And that's different to a freelance writer or a journalist. Yeah. Um, they, they are getting paid by the publication to produce independent content. So mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not beholden to you. If a freelance writer is writing a story about your project, they're, they, they're being journalistic, right? Yep. So they don't actually they don't actually have any requirement to send you a draft of the article. Quite yeah. often they will nowadays, but you know, a, a true journalist yep. will say, no, I'm happy to send you quotes. Like if I quote you directly, I'll send that to you. So don't assume that because a freelance writer is writing um, an article on your project that you have a right to see that before yep. it's published. <laughs> Quite often you won't. But within architecture, generally writers are more interested in making sure that the facts are accurate. So they'll send yep. it to you. But that's a really good one, actually. Just for all, I'm sure all the freelance yeah. writers out there will love me for saying this. If someone's sending you a, a, a draft of an article, that's not an invitation for you to go and edit that. It's a fact-checking exercise. Um, <laughs> so it's to avoid there being any mistakes. Uh, it's not an opportunity for you to rewrite something. So yeah. just if, you, if you're tempted, don't do it. Please don't do it. Um, but yeah, copywriters, copywriters, you're hiring them to, to write content directly for you. Some of that content might end up on websites um, and things like that, but really you're you're engaging them, so you're paying them to produce that content. It's you know th there there are so many reasons to do that, and uh, not least of which would be there's a whole heap of fantastic writers out there um, who will be able to interview you, understand what who the clients are that you are wanting to get, and write content that is attractive to them. So. Absolutely. It will it will be worth it. If you get a good copywriter, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it with the time you saved. It'll be worth it with the quality of the content on the other side. But you don't have to do that in order to get published. You don't have to do it in order to get good content up on your website. Don't don't feel like that's a cost necessarily a cost of doing business. I think you will step up. You'll take steps up in your media. So for the first year, you might be producing your own content because it's all you can afford. Yeah. The next year, you might get a cash injection. You go, you know what? I want to help. I want someone to come in and write my awards content for yeah. me. And while they're doing that, they're going to write some web copy for you. You're going to take steps up, no matter whether you've been around for ten years or you yeah. know two weeks. Um, you're going to take these steps up as you start to invest in your in your communication. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. Totally worth it. I will. I'm a yeah. writer. I will, awesome. <laughs> I'll always it. say it's it's totally worth it. You need to know who you're working with. So if you if you've got someone who's um, offering copywriting services, ask them for examples of the content that they've created, other clients that they've worked with. You know the basic stuff of um, due diligence when you when yep. you go to engage someone. But you know at Bowbird, you know we we provide information on the best people, um, all the appropriate people. We work with a lot of copywriters um, and a lot of freelance writers. So you can actually come to us and say, hey, we're wanting someone to produce content. And what we can do is that next level up, which is 
match you with someone that matches rather than you going out and researching people who might actually just quite frankly be too expensive for you we can actually match yeah. that and go well this is you'd probably be looking at someone like this compared to someone like this that's um, really interesting that's not a that's not a paid service i'm not, I'm not no so that's just you know just... you open up the live chat support in the bottom yep. right and ask away yep. and you can get Balbert to I'm going to ruin your support. <laughs> you know, I'm going to ruin your intercom inbox. <laughs> you can just basically ask for any kind of favor in terms of advice or, or, or strategic well, services. Well, well the, the, beauty, the beauty of that is and the way that the internet works now is that if you get 10 people asking the same question, you, you write a support post yeah. for it or you do a little video for it and then yep. everyone else who comes and asks yep. that question again uh, gets the benefit from it. So we love that. We love it when we get asked the same question over and over again because we, we make it easier for people to access that content yeah, yeah and do you do you do the same sort of do you find yourself giving the same sorts of um recommendations around or or, mat, or matchmaking around photographers as well is that also something that's quite quite common um yeah yeah we we are we're often asked usually when we meet with architects they'll they'll ask us those questions because what usually what we're trying to figure out is like we don't want to go in and say hey you should be using a different photographer yeah. if someone's happy with their photographer yeah, we're yeah. not we're going to leave that well alone <laughs> um but but quite often people will come to us and say oh yeah we're shopping around for an uh, for a photographer or um you know we we're wanting to get a different style for different projects that quite often happens yeah. so it might be a different um sector so you know a commercial project is very different to a residential one they'll want a different shot and because we know so many photographers we can say look you're wanting to look at these people here and the other thing is we get we get a sense of, of budgets, you know, how much people have money, how much money people have, and who they should be meeting with. So in the same way that I was saying, you know, find those editors who are sort of at the same point as you. That's what we always say around photography as well, especially if you're a younger practice starting out. Um, mm. You might look to these amazing photographers who are, you know, world class. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> they charge they charge for it justifiably yeah. so. Um, and but we'll be able to know some people who are up and coming who are going to get that level of quality that's you know, makes you really publishable, but fits fits a bit more with your budget. So there's so many services out there now. Like it, it, we, we basically don't need to give much advice other than, hey, go and talk to this person because yeah. they're awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And we don't have we don't have exclusive relationships there. There's people we're not going and getting yeah. you know, affiliate affiliate yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. that's not how we work. We want to make sure that we're we're agnostic to everyone um, and that we're trying to make that match that we think works and that's we've, we've done that several well, many many times um yeah all around the world where we've matched people up who are, are still working together today yeah. so do you sort of uh say do you think that the, the the architecture media space um whether that's photographers writers publications um social media youtube like do you think it's in in growth at the moment um or or, or, or neutral or kind of more shrinking? I mean, how do you sort of see the overall, the health of the ecosystem overall? Definitely, definitely growth. Um, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know that that's, like, we don't really have an impression of whether that's growth in financial terms. Um, yeah, of terms. course, yeah. Sure, potentially, sure. potentially not. But definitely more publications are mm. starting up than are closing down. Yeah. Um, and the the interesting thing to to note about architectural media at the moment, a lot of these print publications, um, they're not you know I don't want to over, overstate it, but mm. they're, they're sort of like loss leaders. So I don't know if you you know this about supermarkets, but mm -hmm. you'll essentially supermarkets will sell their milk and their bread at a at a loss. They yep. they don't make money off it because yep. it gets you into the supermarket mm -hmm. to buy the the more valuable things. Well, a lot of publishers now are starting to shift, so the the print advertising isn't what it used to be. Yep. Um, there is still you know it still makes sense, but really they're trying to push people into other areas. So yep. this is where you start to see things like 
Dezine Awards, um, you yeah. know, these, these awards programs where mm -hmm. there's um, an entry fee, but also sponsors around that. Yep. Um, they're moving into events. So they're holding physical events, like, conferences. All, yeah, absolutely. All that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. so once you, I think as an architect, once you understand the machine, the media machine, and, mm -hmm. and you can, you can look at traditional media to understand that something like, mm. um, you know, we had Fairfax and Nine here in mm -hmm. Australia, but um, Murdoch Media, all of that, mm -hmm. they've got, they've got all these different arms which is how they, they sort of have a consistency um, and that they don't um, uh, that they don't overexpose themselves in one area like print, mm. publishing, for example. Mm. Um, so I think once you start to see that, you, you, it's actually, there's a lot of opportunities in that for architects. So you can, you know, you can enter something in an awards program that's run by a publisher and then that gets on their website and then yeah. that leads to other, other media being interested. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much out there. The media landscape is massive. Ben, give us a couple of more tricks of how we can, you know, take advantage of the of the sort of diversification of the media uh, business model. So entering awards is, you know, a potentially a really good way to sort of, I suppose, yeah. buy yourself a little bit of coverage or media attention. I mean, is there any other sort of yeah. tricks up your sleeve that you've kind of come across or, uh, or sort of you've identified and gone, oh, I think that's an opportunity, uh, a loophole. I, I mean, I, it's it's one of those things like the you know the tips and tricks. Everyone wants yeah. to know the the shortcut to something, and I Absolutely. think most <laughs> most architect most architects appreciate that within architecture, there's no shortcuts to anything. Um, That's but, the grown-up answer, Ben. <laughs> I want the tricks. What can we do? <laughs> I don't think it's tricks. I think it's the things we've already spoken about. Yep. It's like it's like the trick is you spend half an hour on your media a week. Yep. That's a trick. Yeah. That's an that's and it's beyond a trick. It's a skill that will yep. serve you for the rest of your life to just mm. go. I'm going to spend some time telling my story across any number of different mediums. So, you know, th those are the things: consistency, um, doing good work. We, we talk about this. We talk about this upward spiral and a downward spiral. So, um, when you're talking about the work you want to get more of, you just need to start to tell the story of that work. So, you might not actually have the projects that perfectly package the, mm. the clients that you want, but tell that story in a way. So let's say you've done a, um, a very small alteration to a, a house in, in a city house. It might not be, you know, unique and sexy. Yeah. Um, it, mm -hmm. could, it, could, it could just be some really solid work and you've got some really nice photography on it, but you want to tell the story, the parts of the story that will attract the clients that you want more of. Mm. So you can actually start to talk about what are the challenges of building an extension in a particular inner city context and that's going to relate to lots of other people so find find that angle and then what you do is you start to tell that story and all of a sudden you attract more of those people more of those people with bigger budgets and as you go on and you get the next project photographed you, you have this upward spiral um so focus on those things and um Look, there's another Andrew Maynard's getting a lot of press out, out of this. Um, it happens on my he, blog too. I've I've got Andrew Maynard all over the place. We're just well because he's done it. His, he's done yeah. it very. He's mm -hmm. done it very well. Um, and one of the things we often talk about is, um, I mean, you've probably got international viewers here, but Andrew yeah, Maynard is, is sort of you know top tier architects here in Melbourne, yep. um, but respected all around the world. But you know, one of the first projects he got media on was a, a sort of. Um, uh, academic study mm -hmm. of this robot that went around mm -hmm. eating cities. I mm -hmm. actually can't even remember the full story. Yep. But if you search for Andrew Maynard robot dog, I think it'll yep. it'll come up. Um, and you know those things. And he also engaged with the media on a professional in a professional sense. So he has a well known essay that he wrote, I think for Arc Daily, I could have that wrong, um, around work-life balance within yep, architecture. Exactly. So there are all these things that you can do, even as a young starting up practice, you might have no projects, 
look at the things you can do. What are, what are the skills you've got? What are the tools you've got? And what's the content that you've got? Start doing a bit of that. And again, one hour a week, especially if you're starting out as a, as a practice, you're going to have that time. You're going to be able to carve that off and start to do some of that work. Um, and I think, you know, again, that's the upward spiral. You yeah. talk about the things you'd like to do more of, even if you haven't got them. Um, yeah. And eventually you'll, you'll pick up that, that profile. Yeah, and kind of like on that, I mean, um, the, the idea of like writing, um, writing an essay or writing 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 an article of some type when there isn't even a project as part of the as part of the picture it's just you know this this is kind of these are my thoughts or or maybe speaking to an issue that you are passionate about or or means a lot to you at the moment um is another sort of strategy that a firm might be able to invest in right in terms of that might be a focus of theirs do you i've also found that you know when in terms of getting even getting a project like a residential project into a context where you don't normally see architecture necessarily so let's say for example a house project featured on abc radio national you know show it the story might actually be about something to do with people leaving the city because of coronavirus and going to you know a regional area relocating there's always there's a there might be a bigger narrative that that story kind of fits into um yeah do you think do you sort of i sort of see that as like the real 4d chess next level kind of media strategy around around architecture do you how do you sort of think about that if sometimes when do you make that call that maybe the story of the project might be outside external to the project it might be something bigger like is there any sort of I think thoughts it, on that I, I think it all comes naturally from like i think you can't be contrived about yeah, any of that stuff. it has to be part of the story yep. so what i would say there is you're, you're really looking at you're stepping back from whatever it is that you're doing whether it's your project or your your practice generally and just saying what's interesting here yep. to someone mm-hmm. over here so what's interesting to mainstream media about what it is that we're doing um there's a there's a practice up in um either country victoria or new south wales mm-hmm. um called regional design services mm-hmm. or, or the regional design service yep. um and they they're basically building this beautiful brand around the fact that they're offering regional yep, architectural services right yep. so there's an example of something that they, that wasn't a media decision they didn't go we're going to move to the country <laughs> so that we get media attention they've gone we're going to do this because it's something we believe in and then we're going to talk about what it is that we do it's as simple as that i don't yeah. i think being too strategic particularly for architects can be daunting um and it can feel you know it can be not genuine basically yeah, exactly um so I, I would always say, just look at the things that you love, the things that you're interested in, and see if there are opportunities there to talk to someone, anyone, everyone mm. about that. So, you know, that's a perfect example of this idea of um, there will already be projects underway um, where people are moving from cities because of COVID yeah. mm-hmm. um, and they're looking to invest. So what what has come out of that is that instead of people buying a house that is... Um, incredibly expensive in the middle of the city mm-hmm. they're going to buy one that's much more affordable out in the country and they're going to have money left over to hire architects so yep. those stories are going to be massive they're going to be all over the place and i'm sure there are already architects sitting there going oh yeah we've got clients that are looking to do that project isn't going to be completed for you know 12 24 months yep doesn't matter that's one of those ones where you can go and find a media uh, uh, sorry a newspaper journalist yep say hey we're doing this we'd love to talk about it you can start that story before there's any project completed yeah and that is an interesting example because i think it comes back to what you're saying earlier about talking about the brief the challenges and the solutions right and your 
what what a practice might overlook is the the fact that the client maybe did come to them and say hey because of coronavirus we are making this drastic unexpected never never before considered the idea that we were going to move to a regional area and build a house on this amazing site and do these things and that became so you know maybe intertwined in the project and became part of the brief but unless you're being really uh unless you're actually focusing on making sure that you're actually communicating some of those facts and some of that information that could just get completely missed by a journalist right if you were to just go here are the pictures we used this type of timber on the on the walls and we use this kind of landscaping hope you like the project that might be completely missing some of the juicier or more interesting details of the project right so yeah. again focusing yeah. on the client and maybe not i really like what you also said ben it's almost sort of totally contradicting the way i was looking at it in terms of don't actually be too strategic you know really just maybe yeah. give the information and then whatever's there is there kind of in terms well of i mean you know I think that idea of a strategy of, of having a strategy. I mean, the the only the only thing that a strategy serves is implementation, mm. right? Structured implementation. Mm. Everyone can have a strategy, and and so many people are like, yeah, I'm going to hire someone to develop a strategy, and then yep. they just don't commit. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. They don't commit to um to really implementing the strategy. <laughs> um and and so I think you and and architects are notorious for this. The number of architects websites you go to and it says under construction. Um yep. and it has done for the past 10 Since years. 2016. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that same strategy thing. Until I have the perfect strategy or until I've got everything perfect, I'm not going to yep. not going to do something. Yep. And if you start to pick your projects apart, even a project that the there might be projects where the finished um, product doesn't photograph well. Yeah. For whatever reason, it might be I mean, it might be a public toilet that is just, you know, a standard public toilet, but the way that you've implemented it, the um, the scheme for it is is actually really newsworthy. So I think looking, pulling the projects apart and looking at those those elements, and I think the brief challenges solutions thing is a great way to do that. When mm-hmm. you go back to the brief, you remember what the client asked for, and then you look at the finished product and you go, that's why that is mm-hmm. like that. That's why we have a round window, you know, yeah. at the front of the house, whatever it is. And then you tell that story instead of just going, here's a house with a round window at the front. Like there's yeah. an actual story behind it's that and you've forgotten though. it because, yeah. yeah, as you say, you've sort of gone through the pain of it and yeah. have forgotten it. And the details are kind of what bring the project to life, right? Like in, in the story. So there's little, there's little connections that, that really is what architecture does so well, um, mm. particularly in residential when the client is such a larger than life figure in the design of the home that, that those those little things are sometimes what made the projects really, really interesting, really nice to to, to learn about as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing we say to architects when you're preparing your content, if you even if you can't quote your clients, go back to your client and say, <clears throat> what's what space do you like the most? What On a Saturday morning, tell us what you do. Or if you are able, if you're lucky enough to be able yeah. to go and observe them using a space, um, you know what is it that they love, and ask them about that, and it will it will reveal things that you didn't even know you were creating. So um, there's this great example we use um, in between architecture here in Melbourne, who um, is uh, is a practice who came on with us very early on. <clears throat> Nick, who is also a photographer, he went and photographed one of their projects, and he he asked you know asked the clients, what do you like most? And the clients, they didn't talk about, you know, circulation space or fenestration. Um, they, they talk... Oh, the fenestration. That's... 
one of my favorite terms. Um, it's just a nice word. Um, but the, the client said, you know what? Our favorite thing is this step here. Um, and Nick sort of said, oh, what do you mean? I said, with the old house before the extension was put on, we used to sit on this step together and watch the kids play. And now that we have this extension here, we still do the same thing. We sit on this step and we, and we look out. Um, watch the kids play in the you know in the living living area um and the the beauty in that is that that was a design decision that came out of the client telling that story to the architect yeah. right yeah so you you're basically going oh okay well we'll keep that step down that could have gone that step could have been yeah. completely gone but it yeah. was an important family ritual yeah. and when you do that that one story alone i mean i would i'd call that something like the back step house or or something like yeah, that, or yeah, the family yeah, step yeah. house, um, and and it, that's that's the that's where the real joy is. And if Nick hadn't have asked that question of the clients, that part of the story might not have been like just been you know, lost. So it's so key, about. yeah, it could be. And lost sometimes forever, that so. can be a, a a byproduct of how long it does take to eventually design and build a house. That you're like, oh, that was like two years ago. We had that conversation. Yeah, you, you know, it's, you you forget it, but yeah. also, I mean, the 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 nature of. Um, the nature of architecture is that there's a lot of challenges that go along with it, a lot of headaches, and you you actually want to forget a lot of it. So you don't really <laughs> want to think about the fact, you know, that story of this family step. For the architect, they look at that step and they go, "That caused me so many headaches." Yeah, yeah, like, if we'd I hate just, that if step. We'd just gotten <laughs> I hate rid that of that family. Yeah, they're like they're like so over it at the end, and then they're just like, yeah. "I just want to, I just want it out the door." But yeah. it's it's kind of like maybe going back or even being maybe that is again again another argument for maybe focusing on like maybe being more thoughtful or keeping that keeping that communication and media storytelling stuff maybe just in the back of your mind throughout like so you can just kind of maybe keep a keep a word document where you're just like jotting down little notes or observations to come back to like that yeah. sort and of even, stuff would even help sketches so and sketches, a lot of architects yeah. are still doing sketches if you're sketching that step you know even with a little you know little kid on there keep that stuff that's yeah. all really valuable to yeah. to a story ultimately and you know i use that example of the, uh, maybe you would name that house something else yeah that house is called something else because there was a clearer story basically yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but but looking at those things is how you name a project as well and we talk about this in our podcast yeah, yeah, um, yeah. around around how to name name a project but story is everything for architecture it's the thing that makes your project unique even if it's not instantly obvious why it's unique that's how you find that unique component, which is of interest to journalists and editors. Love it. And, well, and potential clients. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ben, um, uh, thank you so much for, um, you know, uh, agreeing to do this video and this conversation. I think there's so much information. Um, I, I feel like you need to write a book on getting architecture, communicating architecture. I would definitely buy that. Um, you, you and Nick have a a seriously awesome podcast, um, kind of the Bowbird podcast and where episode by episode, you guys kind of break down in like real practical, actionable kind of detail, the process and benefits and all these amazing mm. arguments for kind of getting published and how to do it. So, um, I'll go ahead and promote that for you in terms Thanks, of, <laughs> in terms of everybody who's watching, who, who thought that, you know, some of Ben's insights really interesting and are looking to actually kind of go into that next layer of depth and sort of think about how you can apply some of that stuff to your practice. Um, that podcast is definitely, uh, the thing to check out. So people could just basically search for Bowbird podcast and they're guaranteed yeah, to find it. Bowbird podcast, yeah. Yep. Or go to bowbird.io. And I think it's, um, it's on the home. Yeah. It's on the home. Exactly. Send us a message and ask them to recommend a writer and a photographer and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Then sign up. Uh, awesome. Thank you very much, Ben. That was, awesome. that was great. Thank you. Thank always, you. always great to chat. All right. Thanks. You Dave. too. 
Well, that was Ben Morgan from Bowerbird. I really hope you enjoyed that interview. As we mentioned at the end of that interview, if you want to follow up with Ben, you can check out bowerbird.io or visit the Bowerbird podcast on the Apple Podcast Store or Spotify. And that's an incredibly detailed resource. I recommend it to everybody who wants to know more about getting published. If you enjoyed that conversation, then stick around because over the coming weeks, I'm going to be uploading more interviews with experts on marketing, business, communications for architects. The first interview you'll hear will be with Ray Brown, a business coach, followed up with Nikita Morell, a copywriter, and Celeste Bolt, who's a communication strategist. Now, if you're curious to see what I've been up to recently, you can head to my website, vanityprojects.com, and check out some of the cool things that I've added over the last couple of months. Two things that come to mind especially are the Instagram for Architects webinar, which I hosted about a month ago. It was an amazingly successful event. I was expecting about five people to buy tickets and instead I got almost a hundred. So it was extremely popular. A lot of people were reaching out to me afterwards um, that heard about it. They wanted to get their hands on the recording. So I've made that available on my website. So you can get the, uh, the recording of the webinar and the accompanying slides that give away basically every single thing I know about marketing on Instagram for architecture firms and growing an Instagram account if you're an architect. It's two hours long. It's, uh, it's very in-depth. And it goes through what you should be doing at every single stage of the journey from starting an account all the way through to getting to tens of thousands of followers. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this interview. I can't wait to share some more with you. It's getting me really excited to go out and record some new conversations. Um, Stay well and I'll speak to you soon.